That's kind of the basis of Southeastern Roastery is it's great coffee. It's specialty coffee that's you know sustainably sourced and produced, but ultimately it's a conduit for communication and for positive growth and positive communication. Welcome back to Drip, a DC coffee podcast. My name's Austin Brower, and I'm your host. In this episode, I talk to Candy Sheepley, the founder and head roaster of Southeastern Roast and Brewery. Candy embodies everything I love about the DC coffee scene. Not only is she a roaster and owner, but she holds multiple degrees, including a master's. She's employed at a regular nine to five and has worked all over the country. She hustles, leaving little time for herself, but all the time for her community, craft, and passion. Candy and I cover a range of topics, including entrepreneurship, the environment, and women in coffee. I'm excited for you to hear this episode. So sit back, grab your cup of coffee, and enjoy the episode. So here with Candy Sheebly, and a couple weeks ago, thank you, a couple <laughs> weeks ago, uh, you tried to get down here for an interview, but... It was uh, a rock and roll marathon. Rock and roll marathon. Was yeah. in the way. Half the city was... Uptown was blocked from downtown. Gosh. Yeah. It was like there's a little uh, it's a wall barricade. between... Yeah. Yeah. The wall got built. The wall got built. <laughs> a little further north than little, what we expected. <laughs> uh, much shorter distance than we thought, too. Exactly. Anyways, <laughs> we're here to talk about coffee. <laughs> this is now a politics podcast. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Ken. Sure. <laughs> uh, but no, thank you for being here. And I'm really excited to talk with you and uh, focus on a couple different areas I think would be interesting along with coffee is kind of the entrepreneurship that you're working into, being a women-owned business in D.C. And then lastly, your education and environmental interest I think will be fun to explore today. Okay. So maybe we can just start off with a little bit of your coffee journey to where you are today. Yeah. So it started in Isla White, Virginia. Before that, it was just an idea in my head. During graduate school, um, we'd taken a lot of trips to coffee farms when I was in Costa Rica, and some friends and I would come back from those trips and play around with coffee brownies and just... All kinds brownies? of brownies. Yeah, Sorry, yeah. <laughs> like make brownies. With make coffee. brownies with coffee in it. Like brew coffee, pour okay. it into the brownie mix. You know, just kind of exploring the different flavors and and uses of coffee. And I kind of got into it, and it was a lot of fun actually. Fast forward a few years after working with the World Resources Institute and the Organization of American States, and with the position that I'm in now at DevTech Systems, I started going and actually thinking about doing coffee more as a business, something that I would want to get into. And my thought behind that was really retirement. I mean, <laughs> it, was more, right. it was more of a thoughts on the line of where do I want to be when I'm older? What type of environment do I want to be in? What type of work environment do I want to be in? And I was thinking of Mediterranean climate, something that would get me back and forth to an agricultural environment and probably someplace around beaches or something like that. And my family was always into gardening and I connected with the farmers when I was in Costa Rica and in, in other places in Central America. And so coffee just seemed like the right fit for me. It's multicultural. It's grown in so many different countries. It allows me to talk to so many different types of people and explore so many different areas and environments and terrains. And so bought a roaster before I knew how to roast. <laughs> Most people would say, don't do that. <laughs> 
I didn't talk to anybody. Yeah, I was all in. I was all in from day one. And what? So this was like a big roaster that you could actually. What is it? Uh, retail roaster? Yeah, exactly. Farmers. Yeah, it's a retail roaster. It's the same roaster that I have now. It's okay. a one kilogram Mill City. I did some research. I did ask around and I looked at my price point and this looked like the best deal. And so I was like, well, I'll go ahead and get a roaster. I'll then look for, you know, where I can learn to roast or how I can learn to roast. I did that. And luckily, there is a facility in Williamsburg, Virginia that I went to. Yes. <laughs> Not too far from my great grandmother's house That's in perfect. Smithfield, Virginia. So during the time when the roaster was supposed to be delivered, I was actually in class and roasting class. And it got delivered, I want to say, maybe the second or third day of my roasting class. And I had no idea what to expect. I got a huge crate. My cousin had to help me with his tractor on the back of his truck because the 18-wheeler wouldn't come down the country road that the house is on. (laughs) So we had to drive to Chesapeake, follow the 18-wheeler back to the uh, warehouse, put it on my cousin's tractor, and then bring it back to Smithfield. So it was... uh, Dedication. Yeah, yeah. I think from day one, it's definitely been like a mission that it's involved a lot of people and I've had a lot of help. So I'm pretty grateful. The Williamsburg part, is that the coffee? Williamsburg Coffee and Tea. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, and they teach. Yes. Todd Arnett's there. He's the director of the Specialty Coffee Association Education Department. Okay. Well, that's really neat. And yeah. Sorry, I'm just impressed that you just. <laughs> All right, I'll buy a roaster and uh, we'll start roasting. Yeah, it was one of those things where I figured if I didn't go ahead and buy it, I wouldn't have started. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so for retirement, it seems like you were looking to find a career path that would kind of allow you to work within retirement, but then also get to experience all these great qualities of life. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So I really was thinking about a lifestyle change and When I think about retirement, you know, that's kind of my ideal situation. And so I thought, you know what? I should try and create my life now the way I want it to be in the future. Oh, that's brilliant. (laughs) I think people could take some notes from you. Um, I hope it works out. (laughs) It will. It will. Fingers crossed, though. There you go. Um, And so you kind of alluded to it. I read a little bit on your website and from some of our conversations, but sounds like maybe from a rural part of Virginia and then now you're living in D.C. Mm-hmm. And you're also, your roastery is now in Songbird in downtown D.C. Right. Seems like there's kind of a unique tension between this urban and rural environment. There is. There is. So I didn't grow up in Smithfield, but my great-grandma lived there. And so we would go back and forth quite often to go crabbing and fishing and just to visit. Most of my dad's family's down there. My mom's from southwestern Virginia. So I pretty much grew up in some rural areas, back and forth from the suburbs of Richmond and D.C. to those areas. Though I like rural environments, there's just not a lot of professional economic opportunity diversity in those areas. And so D.C. offers me that. And I like that. And so I enjoy being here. I enjoy the culture that's here access to the arts and music and different people in coffee and different people in politics and different people in all kinds of fields. So it's nice to be here. But I do like the country. I do like crabbing. 
I do just like going out and getting my hands dirty yeah. and taking hikes and yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> well, now you can do that with your roast. Exactly. Sarah, that was an interesting tension for me is just your talk about rural and then also being in DC, but you also have an interesting background. I guess tell us a little bit about your two degrees and then maybe how they kind of influence your roasting. So that definitely was not planned. When I started chemical engineering, so my undergraduate degree is in chemical engineering. When I started... And your graduate degree is in... It's in natural resources okay. and sustainable development and international affairs. Okay. <laughs> I forgot the third one. It was a dual degree program at American University okay. with the University for Peace in Costa Rica. But yeah, when I got into chemical engineering, I was thinking more that I would want to go into environmental engineering. I went into it really liking math and really liking science, but not really knowing the reality of what the work arena would look like. Mm -hmm. And so when I started doing internships and got my first job, I was like, man, this is really industrial, like beyond the kind of rural that I'm used to, like way out, you know, <laughs> I was working in Cantonment, Florida, which is a uh, quote unquote suburb of Pensacola, Florida. <laughs> At a paper mill at one point, I worked in Ashland, Kentucky at an oil refinery doing controls engineering and then worked with Honeywell for a little bit too. And so at that time, I was definitely not in the realm of even thinking about roasting. I definitely appreciate working in those environments and seeing what types of communities are built around those and kind of the impacts of industrial industries on small town America. And you really, gosh, you really get to understand, you know, the differences in people in different areas in the U.S. And so seeing how communities were impacted by downstream pollution and effluent and all of that stuff, I decided, you know what, I think I want to do something that's a little bit more sympathetic <laughs> to humans. <laughs> I wanted to kind of have more of an awareness for what I was doing downstream basically. And I saw that a lot of the industrial environments that I was working in and organizations didn't necessarily have a big consideration for what was going on downstream. So I decided I'd go more into policy, kind of science policy, environmental policy. And so that's when I went back to get my graduate degree in international affairs and natural resources and sustainable development. Worked in that for a little while with WRI, worked in land tenure and property rights. I'm working with DevTech right now. Hopefully I'm going to cut back my hours soon. <laughs> Yeah, we'll get and, to that in a second. Right, right. Shh. <laughs> they don't know that yet. Uh, my, right? <laughs> in a micro enterprise and microfinance. So in in getting into roasting, I kind of come from those backgrounds and it's actually a really good fit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, roasting has a lot to do with chemical process controls. So doing the types of calculations for my profiles and, you know, different machine tweaks come pretty easily for me. Understanding where to source beans from and who to talk to and the environments that they come from. I did a lot of that kind of study in graduate school. So yeah. So it worked out well. It, it, it worked out well. Yeah, in hindsight, yeah, it looked like I planned everything. Good. good. Retirement's going to be easy. <laughs> but I didn't. <laughs> um, well, yeah, thank you for sharing that. It's I think it's always unique how people end up getting into roasting or getting into coffee. But your backgrounds all seem to funnel very nicely into coffee. So I wanted to kind of talk about that a little bit. 
And you alluded to the fact that you might be cutting down your hours a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and DevX, if you're listening, it's not true. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> but can you tell us a little bit about the hustle that you go through to really run Southeastern Ocean? It's definitely a hustle. It's definitely a hustle. So I started as soon as I learned how to roast. I started going down every weekend, basically, to Smithfield from D.C. and roasting. That was my practice. That's how, you know, I was making my orders. I had gotten my first order, I want to say a month after I'd finished my class just by word of mouth with Duality Coffee and Whiskey Bar, which is a pop-up on U Street. Yeah, yeah. At Wineman 1301. Small order, but, you know, it really allowed me to kind of get into it right away. Mm-hmm. And so my weekends were pretty shot. Luckily, wasn't dating anybody, didn't really have anything else going on, no kids, you know, no, <laughs> so no dog, <laughs> some, some plants. <laughs> that was about it. <laughs> it made that decision pretty easy. And since then, it's really been a continuous hustle, trying to work my nine to five and, you know, still get business, still kind of build community around what I'm doing and awareness around what I'm doing and talking to people. I definitely am working during my ideal hours that I would want to talk to restaurant owners and hoteliers and things like that. Mm-hmm. And so I've really had to juggle and like kind of finesse a lot of my day and my schedule. So when we talked, we were at a TNT and you mentioned that, oh, I got to get home. And this was at like 10 o'clock. And I was like, <laughs> All right, Candy, you should have another beer. But um, you're like, I got to get up at, what, 4.30 or 5? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. so just walk us through the day because it's you made it sound really easy of like, oh, I have plants at home and everything. (laughs) But it's No, no, it's, it's pretty intense still. I try and roast before Songbird's opening hours. One, because of the alarm. Two, because I'm, you know, vacuuming up some of the chafing that comes off. And, you know, it's just not an ideal environment for people to be like eating and drinking around. Yeah. And a lot of times also people are really interested. And so they want to talk. And I'm like, this is a, a machine <laughs> that's on fire. <laughs> and it's a job, you know, so I've got to pay attention. I've got to focus. I've got to watch my timing, watch my gas, all of that stuff. So I've been getting up quite early. When I came up from Smithfield to Songbird, I was on propane in Smithfield, propane gas. Songbird is on natural gas. And so there was a little bit of time when I was adjusting my roast profiles to fit that switch. And my roast times were longer than what they had been. And so I was having to get up way early just to fit the same amount of roasting in as I would have on my propane machine. What, you get up at 4.30, you roast for a couple hours, you go into work by 9. Exactly. And then you And then I get out by 5, go home, eat. Finally. (laughs) Eat finally, yeah. I try and have a banana or orange and toast in the morning and then something random for lunch, but yeah. And then package, label. Respond to emails, accounting. Stay in the coffee community. Exactly, exactly. That's a busy day. It's a busy day, yeah. I guess why we're here kind of in the entrepreneurship side of things, it's really one of my favorite places because I think entrepreneurs, and especially coffee entrepreneurs, are really exciting to talk to. And that hustle, it's so real. People, I feel like, don't even really think about how difficult it is really to run your own organization. I mean, like you said, you're working with the product. 
you're doing business development, you're sales, doing the packaging, sales, packaging, distribution. distribution. I've definitely had some help with the bean pickup, the raw bean pickup, okay. but I do that too. Yeah, just <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> um, and and so it's fun though. <laughs> and you were actually just talking about being <clears throat> at a class in Baltimore in regards to entrepreneurship. And so maybe you don't want to talk about it on the podcast, but kind of what are you? going through now. Yeah. Actually, the class is here in DC. Okay. It's at the McDonough School of right. Business. It's okay. out of the McDonough School of Business in, in Georgetown, but it's through Ascend 2020. It's a business accelerator program, nine weeks. And basically, it's an accelerated MBA and kind of a entrepreneurship 101 mm. course. So we do a lot of practice on pitching, on, you know, slide deck creation, on getting to know your customer segments and how to evaluate your competition and how to evaluate how to place yourself in the marketplace and things like that. So I've been reading a lot of articles on how to raise money, how to raise capital, how to pitch properly how to recognize not only just other roasters as competitors, but also other wallet shares of folks. So for example, tea makers or, you know, other forms of entertainment. Interesting, um, yeah. yeah. So it's been really a, a fun ride. It's been intense. It's every Saturday from 10 to 3. <laughs> no Saturdays so that's a, for you. No Saturdays for me. <laughs> Thanks for sharing a little bit about that. And yeah. with regard to Southeastern, what does your team look like? And then also kind of, actually more importantly, or not more importantly, but mm-hmm. you used to be an Isle of Wight, right? And yes. now you're with Songbird. Mm-hmm. Why that partnership and, and yeah. how that happened? So Alicia, uh, Alicia and Joe were the owners of Songbird. I met Alicia a few years back, oh, a while now, a while back. And we actually went to the same graduate program, kind of different segments. I went to the one that uh, did the dual program in Costa Rica. So we both kind of come from the same environmental background, the same school of thought in terms of how we see sustainability. And so actually met them before they started Songbird. We kind of connected there, stayed in touch. They knew I was getting into coffee roasting. And so, you know, they kind of kept up with what I was doing. She always kept in touch and, you know, I would go by and, and give them coffee. And, you know, we just kind of grew into, into this kind of collaboration. And so she knew I was on the hustle. <laughs> I'm still on the hustle. <laughs> but, um, it's been a big help and having, having the opportunity to move into Songbird has really, put me in a really, uh, in a nice space. And I, and I like being closer to home and having reduced travel and really getting to connect with the DC community a bit more because it was hard and traveling back and forth to Isle of Wight on the weekends mm-hmm. to really kind of remain engaged with what was going on here in the city, except on the weekdays. And so now I can. And how do you do that? Engage with the community and, and how should people engage with you? Set up a number of events. Let's see, since I've moved up, we've had, I think, one kind of cross-cultural event. In the past year, we did Bitches Brew, which was a kind of a, in collaboration with um, Collective Action for Safe Spaces and Songbird, a meeting of women, artists, 
entrepreneurs and you know, organizations for you know women's related policies, just to kind of talk, talk about some of the challenges that we face and, and some of the opportunities that are around. Last year, did a fundraiser with Pal Padres Charter School. Hmm. So just, you know, activities here and there, just, just to try and stay engaged. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's mostly women focused. <laughs> it's, uh, uh, at this point, I wasn't invited to the event. But, uh, <laughs> I feel like I'm excluded from that in some ways. So. I don't. I don't think I knew you then. <laughs> That's okay. It was open to everybody, actually, but it was kind of a focus on the bitches brew in particular. Was a focus on some of the challenges that women mm-hmm. face and just the general professional environments that we're in, and you know, just there to there to support each other. So yeah. just to be there to support each other. That's neat to hear, and hopefully there'll be some more of those. Yeah, events, uh, definitely. I think that's the greatest thing about coffee, right? It's a vehicle for other conversations. And and that's how I see it. Yeah, that's really how I see it. And that's kind of the basis of Southeastern Roastery is it's great coffee. It's specialty coffee that's, you know, sustainably sourced and produced. But ultimately, it's a conduit for communication and for positive growth and positive communication. And so I'm really focused on trying to get the consumer, the coffee consumer to just kind of slow down and really concentrate on their senses and find that that space where then they have opportunities to maybe think about other things as well and talk about them and discuss them. It's kind of my existential idea of coffee roasting. And what it can bring. <laughs> there you go. It's right here. We're not drinking your coffee. I'm sorry, but uh, no, it's okay. we're still drinking coffee. Yeah, yeah, it's delicious. Thank you. Your website really is very creative, especially with the language you use. And I guess, how do you put creativity into the process and how important is it to you? It's extremely important to me. How I do it, I wish I had a process that I could go through with you. creativity, right? Maybe that's the point. Yeah, it's kind of off the cuff. (laughs) I can be pretty pretty creative, outlandish, and existential at times, so it kind of comes a bit natural. I see it as an outlet. Um, The roasting. Well, the roasting and the creativity around it. So, yeah, so I try and combine both of those. I take a lot of inspiration from music, from jazz music as well, visual art, books, other foodies, chefs. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of study chefs. I don't have much knowledge base there. Um, Neither do I. That's why I'm studying them. <laughs> and I guess kind of leading into it, Pompville just did an article about you and your women-owned business. Mm-hmm. And then you were just talking about some events. It, I guess obviously sounds like that is an important part of it, Southeastern Roastery, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. So... What is the importance of that to you and how does that affect your day-to-day? It's important, that kind of collaboration, particularly cross-sector, cross-cultural, cross-gender communication is really important to me. And so I like going to events that foster that and I like putting on events that foster that or, or just even supporting events. Not that they even have to be of Southeastern Roastery, but if somebody's got something going on that I can contribute to or participate in. For example, we did a fundraiser in collaboration with the Uptown Art House for the Capitol Hill Arts Workshop. 
And that was just, it was just lovely. It's just really beautiful to be able to kind of connect with different aspects of the city and, and different folks to kind of go towards a positive common goal, no matter what that is. And so I, like I said, I love art and I like contributing to it and I like supporting it. And so things like that are quite important to me. Yeah. Yeah. It was a nice article too. It's a beautiful article. I was, yeah, I was like, oh my gosh, thank you. (laughs) Some people have been extremely supportive. People have been, most people have been like, not some, most people have been like extremely supportive of what I'm doing and uh, how I'm doing it. And so it's really, it's really nice to kind of like have that to look at and to, feel that encouragement from the community it's it's great yeah oh that's really nice to hear and i guess i'm not too surprised as well but how is the coffee community in dc for women and i guess kind of from uh like an owner's role and a roastery role what levels that's a bad question i think you know (laughs) no i think i I definitely i definitely know what you're getting at and i think you know the coffee community in dc is strong Mm -hmm. it's a pretty tight-knit community we cup together And so, you know, you get to know your peers Mm -hmm. quite well. Um, And, you know, even if you don't necessarily know them on a personal level, you definitely get to know them on a professional level. And I've definitely gotten support from Lost Socks, for example. I had an orifice issue. I called them up. What is an orifice? (laughs) With the burner. Okay. (laughs) I should know that. Don't worry about it. It is all that, that, that part's not, yeah, it's all resolved. That part's not, not important. <laughs> but um, the community is, is really supportive. It really is. I can't knock it at all. Yeah, it's great to be around such great professionals and such kind people of the same mindset, too. I think we all, the roasters, all care about kind of coffee in the similar vein and okay. so it's nice huh. we kind of geek out together <laughs> no <laughs> um, and so i guess for for women in particular i mean i work with a lot of baristas that are women and a lot of women in coffee education and correct me if i'm wrong but it doesn't seem like there's a lot of women roasters and women cafe owners right right they're not i'm kind of stepping out of the out of the norm mm-hmm. But there weren't a lot of women chemical engineers in my cohort either. So I didn't go into roasting thinking about that aspect, the gender aspect at all. It hasn't so much phased me, I guess, or I haven't really felt like I probably have been maybe. I don't know. But (laughs) who knows if I've been, you know, impacted significantly by it. But it's a space where I think there's an opportunity for growth for women. Um, So you know, that, that's nice. And, and the more I get into the industry, the more I'm meeting more women roasters, women importers. And so maybe it's not so much that they're not a lot, but maybe not necessarily at the fore of what we're doing. And so kind of bringing those stories to light, you know, with your podcast and with articles yeah. um, really helps. Oh, cool. Yeah, no, sorry. I was just kind of interested in that. And you're doing a, a fabulous job and hopefully Thank other you. people, other <laughs> men, women, whoever see that and know that there's an opportunity to do that in the community and they'll yeah. support them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's a great community. Yeah. I mean, the coffee community, I love it. <laughs> some characters. Some, uh, some characters, but like, I feel so comfortable there. I yeah. feel comfortable here. You know, it's like, 
Wow, why didn't I get into this earlier? <laughs> Everybody leave your day job. <laughs> well, cool. Thanks for exploring that a little bit yeah. with me. So one of the, I guess there's kind of two more areas I wanted to touch upon. In the last episode, I put out a, a call to say if anybody's interested in learning about some things or there's specific discussions you want me to have on my podcast, uh, please let me know. And one person mm-hmm. came back and was really passionate about the environment. Okay. Um, you have some nice knowledge about the environment. Yeah. What do you do to support or keep a sustainable environment um, within the supply chain and then mm-hmm. also specifically within your cafe? I'll go to the supply chain and the sourcing first. Okay. So all of my green beans are sourced from sustainably managed and produced coffee farms. And so I work with producers that are part of the Specialty Coffee Association. So by that membership alone, they have to adhere to specific environmental, social, and economic standards that are high. For importing my coffee, I work closely with local importers. So my importers, though they're connected with the farms that I get my coffee from. Most of them live here in Baltimore. So I keep that connection extremely local. Where I pick up my beans from is extremely local. So it kind of, it reduces travel time and travel emissions. Within the cafe, I would say the use of natural gas probably, you know, helps quite a bit. I don't really have a lot of control over you know, what happens as far as electricity and things like that within songbirds. So I can't really speak to that. Definitely recycle, recycle all of my materials. For example, I'll be in the uh, National Cannabis Festival. So so (laughs) supplying goodie bags for that. And one of the things I'm doing is uh, reusing my, my burlap bags to make coasters. And some of my my vintage labels now. <laughs> I'm getting new labels. So. <laughs> Can't wait to see that. Yeah, yeah. And so just kind of looking at the whole cycle, the whole life cycle of the materials. Yeah. My bags are made from recycled materials. Um, they're recyclable. And so kind of to Southeastern Roastery branding. Mm-hmm. It's a butterfly. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of... Well, it's purple and spacey. Yeah. Is spacey the right word? Yeah, yeah. It's intergalactic. It yeah, like nebula <laughs> behind there. <laughs> um, so I like it. Thanks. But where does it come from? So the triangle behind it, again, touches on sustainability, social and economic and environmental sustainability. Those are the three pillars of sustainability. They're often represented in a triangle. Okay. The butterfly is representative of kind of the tropical environments that coffees are generally grown in particularly when I started, you know, in Central America, and also represents metamorphosis and positive change. And that's something that I'm really trying to bring about in a universal way. And so when I worked with uh, the designer, a guy named Antonio Hardy, who was a high school student when he designed this here at a DC charter school. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shout out to him. He's badass. job, Antonio. That's awesome. Now in college, but uh, yeah. Boom, boom roasted, if you will. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, We talked about kind of what my ideas are behind starting the roastery. And so, yeah, we're able to put that kind of galactic background into the butterfly. So, yeah, right now I'm in a... In kind of a labeling and branding metamorphosis and change, if you will, okay. to something that's a bit also a bit more uh, scalable yeah. on, on the like EPS scale. So just to kind of nerd out, but like, EPS, yeah. so that's the name of the file. 
<laughs> so, so just for sizing for like smaller packaging mm-hmm. or, or smaller labeling and things like that. And so it'll scale a bit better. Yeah. Cause it is, it is an intricate design. Yeah, it is. For sure. And do you have any ideas of what that might be? You got to share? Yeah. Yeah. I have some ideas. I'm working with Basecamp in, okay. uh, in Adams Morgan on that. And I think we're almost done. It's going to be in the same realm as that. Just a little different. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe doing something a bit more DC specific for some of our, cool. you know, DC specific labeling. But yeah. Oh, that's really exciting. Yeah. I yeah. I can't wait to see that. But, uh, no, it's going to be, it's going to be dope. <laughs> uh, yeah. Cause it's a very unique logo and I can't wait to see the dope logo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then also I noticed that uh, the company name is Southeastern Roastery and Brewery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So but can I get beer from? You can't get beer from me. Okay. Um, you won't ever be able to get beer from me. Okay. I- shoot. <laughs> that is so not That's my why I realm. You on the podcast. Ah, <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> Um, no, but I named it that because I wanted the opportunity perhaps to expand in products beyond just roasted coffee. Um, for example, there's a, there are teas now that are made out of the coffee fruit itself. And so I'm kind of exploring different aspects of that as well. So I just, I didn't want to limit myself necessarily, not going into beer. When I thought of brewery, I was thinking more of, <laughs> of teas. <Okay. laughs> Um, but yeah, so we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Oh, neat. Or should we expect something in the summer? Or? Perhaps. Perhaps. Perhaps sooner. Oh, <laughs> you heard it here first, everybody. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, neat. Tea. Uh, what, what are those called? Where can people get them right now? Or where do you have them? So I've had them for my suppliers. Okay. Yeah, so I'm working with one of my suppliers now to bring that in. So I've had it at Origin, and we'll, we'll see. We'll see if we can like work something out. the The tea that I'm I'm looking at, which is again a dried coffee fruit, has got some apricot and peachy kind of very organic oh, cool. flavors. Yeah. And the coffee plant in general has also a very tobaccoy scent to it at times. Okay. And so it's also got a light undertone of that kind of tobacco-like kind of rawness, which is, it sounds disgusting. It sounds like chew, but it's not intense. Okay. So yeah, think more organic. Think more of like sucking on an apricot seed or something like that. Does it fall more into the mouthfeel of the... It does fall more into the mouthfeel. Yeah. Yeah. And it kind of, it kind of dissipates as it cools too. So yeah. So I'm, I'm in the... the... I just... (laughs) I don't know what happens in my mouth with that... That that flavor totally totally kind of chills out as the drink cools. Um, Literally and figuratively. Yeah, yeah. So it's a. I'm in the experimentation process mm-hmm. of kind of going through how how to best prepare it and and maybe thinking of other herbs to to kind of put with it. So cool. Yeah. To fit into that brewery category. To fit so. in that brewery category. Okay. Yeah. I have a lot of people ask, "Oh, do you have tea? I don't drink coffee. Do you have tea?" And at one point I had prepared for a festival, the Smithfield Olden Days hmm. last year, a Sumatran tea very typical Sumatran tea, but I put a lavender with it and a rosemary with it. Hmm. Let that steep for a few days and also some honeysuckle. And it turned out like 
really, really smooth, I want to say kind of velvety. So I, I like playing with flavors. I mean, that's what I do with roasting. And it's kind of kind of a continuation of that. It's definitely not out of the realm of what yeah. I'm doing. So I don't usually drink teas, but I can't wait to try some of those. Yeah, so, uh, I'll definitely get you some uh, when, when I Southeastern. feel like it's crafted. Oh, right. <laughs> crafted beverages, yes. Yes. Um, Southeastern Roastery, if people have an interaction with you or your product or Southeastern Roastery in general, what do you want them to walk away thinking about and feeling? I want them to feel a sense of love and attention that's been paid to the roasting and the crafting of the product. I want them to, of course, enjoy the quality of the product. I want people to, when they taste the coffee on their palate, to really get the sense that they're exploring something new, to taste distinct flavors, maybe even flavors from beans that they might have tried before that might be a bit unexpected or a bit different. I want them to really relate what they're smelling to what they're tasting on their tongue. And so when people come in, for example, for tastings at Songbird, I really try and engage in conversations with them, not only about coffee, but also about what they like, what flavors they like. So then I could maybe introduce them to something new or encourage them to explore some of those similar flavors in what they're tasting or give them something that, you know, will suit their palate. Huh, that's really nice. <laughs> oh, thanks for sharing that. And mm-hmm. and then also, very different question, but yeah. um, if you had to recommend one food place for a friend to go to who was visiting D.C., Ooh. Uh-oh, what would it be? Ooh, hands down, Bad Saint. Bad Saint. Bad Saint. I am in love with Bad Saint. <laughs> I don't even know what that is, but I got to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a Filipino restaurant on 11th Street in between Bloom Bars and Wonderland. Amazing, amazing chefs. It's just so well seasoned and so, so much attention to detail that's been put into their work. And you can really, you can really tell. And it's, it's very intimate. They're very personable. And honestly, when I was traveling back and forth from Isle of Wight to go roast on Sundays, like basically Saturday and early Sunday and like late Friday night, I generally drive down Friday night, sleep and then get up extremely early in the morning, <laughs> start roasting. I would maybe eat like soup from a can, some cereal that I bought, some granola bars, some nuts, some yogurt, nothing that really had any like real substance or like yeah. flavoring to it. And I would get back on Sundays and would be starving. I would try and get back by five so I could be there for the opening of Bad Saint and sit at the individual seat. <laughs> that that one seater there you go. and just grub. I would just eat. <laughs> I, can't I know what I'm doing this week. Yeah. Bad Saint. Yeah, yeah. So um, I, I still go. Yeah, I love to see what's new on their menu and just kind of keep up with what they're doing. And the chef's just been nominated for a James Beard Award, too. So, which is a yes. <laughs> yeah. So congrats <laughs> to him yeah, on that. <laughs> well, those were my questions. I'll kind of hand the mic over to you if there's anything you want to say. And uh, if not, that's okay, too. Yeah, I just I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. And uh, I really appreciate 
meeting you. And yeah, this is this is my first podcast. Uh-oh. So thank you for for this beautiful experience. <laughs> yeah, thanks for joining. So thank you very much for your conversation today. And everybody, if you haven't tried Southeastern Roastery, roasting in Songbird and serving in Songbird, get up there. Awesome. Thank, <laughs> thank you. you. <laughs> and that's a wrap, folks. Follow up with Candy and the Roastery on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Check out her website at southeasternroastery.com. Be sure to follow DC Drip Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, and listen to us wherever you get your podcast. Quick thanks to Mike Crockett, the engineer, the Broke Royals for music, Rebecca Silverstein for graphic and web design, and Wesley Stukenbroker for creative support. And last but not least, thank you to the Brower family for your support throughout the podcast process. They visited this past weekend bringing along DC Drip t-shirts and coffee mugs. Thanks again for listening and keep brewing community.